broadcasting to you 365 degrees around the world, all the way from Southern Australia, Northern Ireland, and into the earbuds in your very ears. You're listening, you're watching Midnight Radio. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? You guys doing all right? I'm your host, Gerald Schmimmins, and we have... We have a very informative show for you this evening. Oh, 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 thank you for joining me. All right, if you haven't yet, I'm gonna have our, I'm gonna have our mod, Robo mod, put a link there so you guys can join us in Discord. Very important there. We have a radio station for those of you that didn't know. And on that radio station, we have kick-ass music with many DJs. That Discord is an extension. Of that you'll actually be able to get copies of their shows for free there in discord that's one of the things you can get i like to thank our executive producer for this show lady lisa lady lisa thank you very much i'd also like to thank dj electra for being the producer for this show today's show we're going to talk about some of the new information we got regarding the idaho four case which means, let me go ahead and speaking about Discord, I'm going to pull up my Discord because I have the actual paperwork on there, but we're going to go over the stories about it first. After that, we're going to go over some true crime stories, and I got a special thing. I got something special for you guys tonight. Tonight, after the show, I have a two-hour after show, two hours, true crime, radio show, after show, after Midnight Radio. You guys can check that out. As soon as this goes off, I'm going to post a link to our radio station. You guys can listen to that. If you haven't yet, go ahead and hit subscribe. Hit that little bell and listen to all because that's how you can join the conversation. This show is a conversation with you. What that means is we talk about topics that you want to talk about. If you want to talk about it, you can call in. Phone number's right up there. I'm not going to repeat it. Or you can email at midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com and uh, the phone number is 325 leave up to a three minute message and we're going to play that on the show 325 if you have something to say about one of the stories we're covering we want your voices to be heard it's not about how freaking awesome I am I'm just a humble schmimmins let's go ahead and go over our first story here and I've been, man, I got some dark true crime stories tonight. Very dark. I can't believe things like this happen. But first, we're going to talk about your boy. Hold on here. Idaho prosecutors make their decision on death penalty in the Brian Kohlberger case. That's right. They decide the prosecutors on Monday, they decided to pursue the death penalty against Brian Nothingberger, the man charged with murdering the four University of Idaho students in November. The state found seg- several aggravating factors to the stabbing death, several aggravating factors. Prosecutor Bill Thompson wrote in a court record filed Monday, Idaho law requires such elements to exist beyond a first-degree murder charge to pursue capital punishment. You know, we talked about this at the beginning of it. Before I continue reading this, one of the things was uh, burglary. The prosecution did not receive any information from the defense or find any facts in the case that they think would restrict them from pursuing the death penalty for Cole Berger. Uh, Consequently, considering all evidence currently known to the state, the state is compelled to file this notice. Remember, they talked about when they started trial, how long they had before they actually had to put in the paperwork to pursue the death penalty. We talked about that earlier, and this is just an extension of that. Okay, and really... All right, here we go. The the quadruple homicide incident in Moscow included more than one murder, Thompson noted. These are the, the factors. The first of five such aggravating factors he listed in the court records. The prosecution also determined the murders were especially heinous, atrocious, or cruel, manifesting exceptional depravity. In addition, Thompson wrote, 
Kohlberger exhibited utter disregard for human life, another of the possible elements the state needed to prove that he needs to be sentenced to death. The four murders were committed in the midst of another crime. In the midst, in the midst of another crime, Thompson wrote. Remember, we um, they planned from the beginning. Once you know they charged him with burglary, Kohlberger's charged with one count of felony burglary on top of four counts of first degree murder. That's what they did. I mean, what did he steal? They don't have any that we know of that we know of that came from the house. What did he steal? The dog hair that was on his pants. Finally, because of his alleged actions, Kohlberger has exhibited a propensity to commit murder which will probably constitute a continuing threat to society. Mm, that's kind of weak. Based on what we know, um, reached by the Idaho statesman by email through attorney Shannon Gray, the Gonsalves family thanked Thompson for his decision to seek a death sentence for Colberger. And this is the quote. The Gonsalves family is grateful that the prosecution's office is pursuing the death penalty. There is no one more deserving than the defendant in this case. We continue to pray for all the victims' families and appreciate all the support we've received. The statesman also reached out to members of the Chapin, Mogan, and Grenodal families. The decision by prosecutors to pursue capital punishment in the case came as no surprise to Jessica Bulbus, a Boise-based criminal defense attorney, but I really don't care what she has to say. So I'm going to continue on. Let's read some of the comments from the comment section here, as we like to do. By Fat Lou, if, if uh, proven guilty, can they carry out the sentence in 30 days? Great choice. Go for the gusto. This guy could very well be a Ted in the making. It stopped ahead of that nightmare again. And again, is yeah, this is from the Idaho Statesman. Yeah, this is from the Idaho Statesman. Sure, surely hope these prosecutors are up to the task of getting him found guilty and punished for these heinous murders. King Douglas, DNA evidence is damning. Let's accelerate this process for the sake of the victims. Old Sparky on a low voltage day. Keep trying if you can't get enough power for the first couple times. Let's go to move on to our, our chat room to see what they have to say about this. Hey, Jerry, is this a new statement? Yes, it is, John. Hello, John. Sure the hell is. Lisa Maxwell, hello. Lisa, you're so generous. Um, oh, do we get new members? I always miss the good stuff. Somebody saying something about my mic? My mic keeps breaking up. Guys, is my mic breaking up? Because it sounds fine to me. Mike is not okay. Really? Better now. Better, better, better. Okay, okay, okay. All right, continuing. All right, going on. All right, let's go over some of the other information I have, which is new. All right, this is also from the Idaho Statesman. This is what everybody's been talking about. And see if I can get you a better, that's a little bit better. Hi, John's statement. You guys can read it too long with me. Police use DNA genealogy uh, site to ID Moscow murder suspect. Kohlberger filings confirmed. This is also some new filings that just came out. And you're going to hear a lot about the DNA coming up here. in these two different stories. For the first time, prosecutors in the University of Idaho student homicide case have acknowledged that investigators employed an advanced DNA technique more commonly used in cold cases to land on Brian Kohlberger as the suspected killer. The FBI submitted DNA found at the Moscow crime scene to one or more public, gene public I'll say that again, public genealogy databases to establish familial ties to the alleged perpetrator. 
according to newly released court documents, which, you know, I've got right here. And I will show you. The since deleted DNA profile that federal agents created on online services like Ancestry or 23andMe resulted in the lead that pointed law enforcement to Cole Berger. That's what Bill Thompson wrote, the man seeking the death penalty, a.k.a. the prosecutor. The process known as investigative genealogy, genetic genealogy, or IgG, was previously reported by several news outlets, including Slate and the New York Times, but never before confirmed by officials involved in the case. Yeah, I thought I heard about this before because it was in the damn affidavit. The probable cause affidavit filed to justify Kohlberger's December arrest. Guys, we've got more coming up on this, uh, these paperwork filed through the state, mainly that they had other sources of DNA that wasn't Brian's that they did not test. Although it contains no reference to the use of the method during the seven-week investigation following the November 11th slangs. FBI sent tip to local detectives. Moscow police found a tan leather sheath of, for a combat saw knife next to Mogan's body. Next to Mogan's body. In her bed and later located a single source of male DNA on his button snap. The K-Bar brand sheath, which included a U.S. Marine insignia, was left face down, partially under Mogan's body and the comforter. Based on the genealogical evidence that identified Kohlberger, the FBI... Sent a tip to local law enforcement to investigate him. Thompson wrote, but other more traditional investigative and DNA methods were used to identify and charge Kohlberger. In this case, investigators use IgG. Now, here's a problem, guys. Here's a problem that I have with this. So we're talking about touch DNA, a fingerprint, epithelial cells on a snap that is probably the most minute form of dna that you can get it would take advanced technology to to get the dna from that you know it's less dna than you'd get out of a strand of hair for sure and a whole lot less than you get from a drop of blood so you mean to tell me you have to do a double blind dna test which means you have to take uh, a piece of the sample off for dna and you have to do that twice so you're telling me out of all of this epithelial DNA, they were able to test it four times. You'd test the dad twice and then what you've got of Kohlberger twice. Once you, once you got that cheek swab, I, I don't see there being that much freaking DNA to test, you know? So if I was a prosecutor, I'd really want to look at this and make sure that each sample was tested twice. The, the father was tested twice and the DNA on uh, Kohlberger was tested twice. This is an actual. All right, guys, if you're sending something to me now. Oh, my mic crackles when I start up a video. Okay. All right, let me double check my audio here. Let me take a timeout, a smooth, cool timeout. All right, so you guys might hear some crackling. Watch this, I'm hitting a button. All right, now we're recording the audio off of YouTube. So if you want to hear it without that crackling and I can't readjust it without stopping the show, then check out our check out our um, Spotify podcast where you get better audio and video. And uh, yeah, we'll do it that way. How about that? All right. Thank you guys about the crackling. I'm not hearing any crackling for sure. How? How that doesn't make any sense. I'm not showing any video. How am I getting crackling when I show a video? Doesn't make any sense. You mean crackling when when I have 
a web page up? Is that what you guys are telling me? I did get knocked off by some uh, lightning the other day, so you guys might want to check that out. All right. So, comes now the state of Idaho by and through the Latah County prosecuting attorney respectfully moves the court for a protective order pursuant to 16 for information related to investigative genetic genealogy. This case arises from a quadruple homicide. These are the paperwork filed by the state of Idaho, the plaintiff, the prosecutor's office. The state seeks to protect from disclosure the names and personal information of the hundreds of innocent relatives on the family tree, the names of the publicity available, the publicly available genetic genealogy services used in certain other information described below. The disclosure of this information is not required by the Rule 16 of the Idaho Criminal Rules and should be protected from disclosure for the good cause described below, including the state's privilege to protect the identity of informers. All right, so they want to take all the names of Kohlberger's relatives off this public site. One law enforcement had single-source DNA from the K-bar sheath. They conducted what is called a short tandem repeat, STR analysis. STR, STR DNA analysis involves looking at 20 regions within human DNA and allows law enforcement to make a direct comparison between two str dna profiles law enforcement submitted the str dna profile obtained from the k-bar knife sheath to the combined dna index system or codis and they didn't get a hit from that unable to find a match using str dna analysis law enforcement decided to use investigative genetic genealogy to find a lead Genetic genealogy allows individuals to trace their lineage or connect with unknown family members using DNA. Typically, it involves sending a DNA sample, such as a tube of saliva, to a genetic genealogy service like Ancestry or 23andMe. The genetic genealogy service then creates a single nucleotide polymorphism profile to use for genetic uh, genealogical purposes, a S&P profile is different than an str dna profile and is used more often for genetic genealogical purposes the gene the uh genealogy service uses an algorithm to compare snp profile to snp profile submitted to them by other users the genetic genealogy service shares with the user a list of potential relatives and depending on the specific genealogy service personally identifying information on these uh, individuals. So here, here's some interesting thing that I noticed that I noticed on the affidavit is they said there was like a 99 percentile chance that, and this almost tells you the, tells you the answer in the affidavit. There's a 99% chance that the murderer was a child of Kohlberger's father. Well, I thought, well, that is, that is very odd. I submit to you that they got the DNA from one of the sisters because the sisters uh, gave her DNA to 23andMe trying to find her ancestors. That's what I think. So there you go. The genetic genealogy services shares with the user a list of potential relatives, and depending on the specific DNA, Genetic genealogy service, personal identifying information on those individuals like their name, email address, and the amount of DNA the user shares with the potential relatives. The user does not receive any genetic information pertaining to other databases. The same process used frequent, frequently by members of the public can also be used by law enforcement as part of their investigation. So I said, if you ever or any of your family have ever submitted dna if you've ever been in the, mi the military where they take your dna you're in the system you are in this system all right in this case investigators use igg to begin the process of developing a lead to the individual who left dna on the k-bar knife sheath 
Idaho State Police utilized a private laboratory to develop a SNP profile from the DNA on the K-bar sheath. The private laboratory started using genetic genealogy to develop family tree. But after law enforcement decided the FBI would take over, the private laboratory ceased its efforts and sent the SNP profile to the FBI. Wow. The FBI uploaded the S&P profile to one or more publicly available genetic genealogy services to identify possible family members of the suspect based on shared genetic data. The FBI could then view through the genetic genealogy service portal information regarding potential relatives of the suspect who left DNA on the K-bar knife sheath. Hmm. Based on information, the FBI could see the genetic genealogy service portals. The FBI went to work building family trees of the genetic relatives to the suspect DNA left at the crime scene in an attempt to identify the contributor of the unknown DNA. The FBI built the family tree using the same tools and methods used by members of the public who wish to learn more about their ancestors. For information, for example, the FBI consulted social media, viewed vital records such as birth and death certificates, and viewed other information already contained in the user portal for the genetic genealogy service, including unverified information submitted by users of the genetic genealogy service. And it also talks about how they did genetic databases. Prior to the FBI's IgG efforts, the ISP laboratory developed the traditional STR DNA profile from the DNA found on the K-bar. After identification of defendant, law enforcement recovered trash from the home of defendant's parents in ISP laboratory. Did STR DNA analysis of items from the trash for comparison to the unknown crime scene DNA. The comparison indicated the DNA found on the trash belonged to the biological father of the individual who left the DNA on the K-bar knife sheath. The SDR profile is at least 5.37 octillion times more likely to be seen. All right, so I'm going to pull up the information that I got from my Discord right now. I think it was from this report. Actually. All right. And this is an objection to the state's order for protective order. Uh-huh. This is interesting. On November 13, 2022, law enforcement responding to a 911 call found Madison Mogan, Kate Gonsalves, Zana Carnotal, and Ethan Chapin deceased. Um, law enforcement later found a K-bar knife sheath placed next to Miss Mogan on her bed. The sheath was placed button side down and partially under Miss Mogan and the comforter. On November 20, 2022, the Idaho State Lab in uh, Me Meridian, sorry, Meridian, Idaho, located DNA on the button of the sheath and performed STR analysis that led nowhere when ran through CODIS. They didn't know anything other than to show that the provider of the DNA sample was a male. On December 17, 2022, lab analysis were aware of two additional males, two additional male DNA within the house where the deceased were located and another unknown male DNA on a glove found outside the residence on November 20th, 2022. To this date, the defense is unaware of what sort of testing, if any, was conducted on these samples other than the STR DNA profiles. Further, these three separate and distinct male DNA profiles were not identified through CODIS, leading to the conclusion that the profiles did not belong to Mr. Kohlberger. 
While this was ongoing, police were investigating many various possible suspects. Many of them provided DNA. At least one had his DNA serendipitously taken from a discarded cigarette. Many also had their phones taken and downloaded. One area of the investigation had to do with a white um, sedan seen on camera located at 1112 King Road, first glimpsed by officers November 18th. By November 25th, police believed the car to be a white Elantra and asked law enforcement to be on the lookout for one. Oh, really? So after they saw it cruising around November 18th, and the murder was on the 13th, they see it glint cruising around on November 18th. And by November 25th, they're asking all of you guys to look for this white Elantra. Says precisely how the police came to believe the car was an Elantra is still unknown. This is from their own paperwork. A report from the analysis for the FBI dated March 21st, 2023 shows the analysis heavily relying on a video of a car heading in the wrong direction at the wrong time on uh, Ridge Road. All right. So let me see what else I have to share with you. Going back to the comment section here. What do we got, guys? See if anybody's talking about crackling. Anyone who sends in their DNA willingly is not a protected informant. So if they have the right guy, they got a ton of evidence and it is bad. Doesn't sound good. John, the knife was partially under Madison, under the knife sheaf, partially under Madison's body. That means it was still somewhat visible to the officer. It wasn't completely covered by either her body or the comforter. Somebody's saying if they keep changing the story and implications, they're lying. Don't litter. You never know when that McDonald's cup is going to land on a future crime scene. Ain't that the truth? I mean, how do you have... Uh, I'm really curious about the, the extra DNA that they have. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are talking about Ann Taylor. Now, here's the deal. And here is my Pellegrino. We have, we have a gag order. We have a lockdown. So nobody involved in the case from the judicial side is supposed to talk to the press. And I'm seeing one woman and the prosecutor who are allowed to talk to the press. Whatever motions they file are what we get. We have Ann Taylor and we have the prosecution. The prosecution was talking about the death penalty. And Taylor is saying, hey, what about this other DNA? There's things that you are not talking about. And that gets out and people start talking about it and people make things up. All right, let's see. Let's see what, what else we got here. So we confirmed the Idaho prosecutors confirmed the DNA. They've made their decision on the death penalty. We looked at the motion for protective order, and that's against the people that submitted their DNA. How do you guys feel about that? I don't care. I don't care if they're protecting them or not, although I don't think they should be protected. They're just, I don't know. Oh, here's a good one. Here's a goodie. Here's a goodie. Brian Kohlberger's attorney said there is no connection between him and Idaho students who were killed. The hell does that mean? But he just lived five minutes away. This is brand new as of today in a court filing by attorney for Brian Kohlberger. The suspect in the stabbing deaths of four University of Idaho students last fall, his attorney, Jay Lockson, argues there is no connection between Mr. Kohlberger and the victims. There's no explanation for the total lack of DNA evidence from the victims in Mr. Kohlberger's, Mr. Kohlberger, Buttberger, Buttberger apartment, office, home, or vehicle, the attorney says. Nothing burger faces four counts of first-degree murder, and you guys know what he did. 
The killings left the community on edge for more than a month. All right, let's get back to this. In the new filing, the defense notes, by December 17th, lab analysis were aware of two additional males within the house where the deceased were located. Lab analysis discovered DNA for another unknown man on a glove found outside the residence on November, November 20th, 2022, the filing states. To this date, the defense is aware of what sort of testing, if any, was conducted. Is this what they were talking about? Exculpatory evidence? Now, is this their candy-ass way of talking to the public? Of putting it, pumping it out to the public so people will think or have, have doubt that Brian did this, you know. They're causing that shadow of a doubt, grasping at straws, laying the foundation for an appeal. Or laying the foundation of, you know, reasonable doubt. The filing challenges the prosecution's reliance on investigative genealogy and opposes the government's attempts to keep its methods a secret. The filing objection to state's motion for protective order, that's the one we just went over, is in response to a recent motion by the prosecutor that said Kohlberger's DNA collected by a buccal swab was a statistical match to unknown DNA on the knife sheath found at the crime scene. Kohlberger's defense argues they should be entitled to all data relating to that conclusion, including the investigative gene genetic genealogy used in this case. In other words, they want to know which relative, they want the DNA from the relative that, you know, originally made that connection, right? From the an um, ancestry.com or 23andMe. Prosecutors disclosed last week in their motion that the FBI went to publicly held DNA sites similar to Ancestry 23andMe with unknown male DNA from the knife sheath and utilized genetic genealogy that sent local law enforcement a tip to investigate. But the prosecution argued that Kohlberger has no right to FBI data uncovered from this method. The FBI uploaded the SNP single nucleotide polymorphism Profile to one or more publicly available gene, genetic genealogy sites to identify possible family members of the suspect based on shared genetic data. The defense now argues in its motion, perhaps unsurprisingly, Mr. Kohlberger does not accept that his defense does not need this information. The state apparently only wants to prevent Mr. Kohlberger from seeing how the investigative genetic genealogy profile was created and how many other people the FBI chose to ignore during their investigation. Uh, I saw the news on a lot of people talking about this on YouTube. They're saying it's, it's a complete way to set them up or not to show the other DNA. I mean, if there's nothing to hide, why won't they show where they got it from? What and how many people they tried and how close they got on other people. And who are those other people? Those two other DNA sources, uh, do they submit those to genetic testing too through and send that information to 23andMe? The November killings, the subsequent lengthy investigation rattled Moscow. All right. The next hearing in Koberger's criminal case is set for Tuesday. So it's set for Tuesday. All right. Let's look at the comments. During discovery, the state is required to give the defendant all incriminating evidence, and it is the duty of the defense lawyers to question all the evidence. I don't know if he did it or not, but a jury is going to want to see a connection somewhere between the defendant and the victims. As someone who was a juror on a capital murder case back in 97, I found out that most time the difference between someone being found guilty or innocent Depends on how much money they have for top lawyers and expert witnesses. Uh, next comment. I keep seeing things like going to want to see connections somewhere between the defendant and the victims. My question would be, what connection did Son of Sam have with his victims? What connection did the Green River killer have with his or the 
Zodiac Killer of His. Of course, one can say that this is not a serial killing by definition like those I mentioned, but none of those mentioned were serial killers either by definition. When they committed, when they committed their first murders, it would not have been deemed one if they had been caught right after their first. There does not have to be a connection. Going to read two more here. Of course, that is what his attorney says. He's paid to say that he's a defense attorney, and they will come up with anything they might give the jury cause to question the evidence. There doesn't have to be any truth in what the defense says. It's up to the prosecutors to prove their case with. The evidence. Final comment is this. Kohlberger's attorneys are correct. The DNA evidence is what is sinking him. They have the right to examine everything about that evidence. Uh, Here's another interesting one. Not defending this guy, but no means, but by no means, but there is the biggest factor on charging someone with first degree murder. You need a sufficient amount of evidence to prove that this person should be convicted of the charge you're asking for, especially when it comes to the death penalty, which they're now seeking. The amount of evidence is not a home run for prosecutors to have the defendant charged with first-degree murder. I'll say that again. That's the last sentence there. The amount of evidence, the amount of evidence they have so far is not a home run for prosecutors to have the defendant charged with first-degree murder. I want to know um exactly everything they have to every box they have to have ticked for it to be considered burglary because i don't feel like uh, much burglary if any at all was involved so let me know about that burglary they say all right everything i'm going over now i'm going to link it in the description below the video and i'm gonna do that by tomorrow morning I'm not going to do it tonight. Jenna from Texas said, tactics to sway social media opinion. And Hot Ham says also, they can decide to take away the DP part later if needed. If it was charged and didn't do it, I would get in trouble because I would tell everybody I could see that I didn't do it. All right, I missed that part of the conversation. All right, let's move on here. And let's go with, let's see. All right, I'm going to warn you guys some of the new crime stories we're going to go over very hard if you haven't now please go ahead and subscribe hit that like button too that helps get the show out there but if you subscribe hit that bell you can join in the conversation and that way you always know when we go live right after this show i'm gonna do two hours on the radio we'll put a link up there for you guys to listen to it i'll probably pin it so you guys can check it out after the show we're going to talk about true crime during the after show all right so here we go i want to know what you think about this this hit me really hard today ohio mom 31 is charged with murder after she left her 16 month old daughter home alone for 10 days to go on vacation and found her dead in her playpen when she returned she left the toddler home for 10 days went on vacation found the child had died upon her return. Her name is uh, Chris Till, 31. She's arrested and charged in the death of her baby daughter, Jalen, on uh, June 18th, while she reportedly traveled to Detroit and Puerto Rico, as per the affidavit. When she returned to her Cleveland home, June 16th, she saw that her daughter had been unresponsive. Speaking through an interpreter, she admitted to investigators that she had left her baby at home all alone and unattended. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine 16 months old, just, you know, under a year and a half. She found that her daughter had reportedly been extremely dehydrated as per the affidavit. Authorities alleged that her daughter's playpen had been filled with soil blankets and a bottom liner saturated with urine and feces. 
There's a mother, there's a child. Ma'am, you're present in court today on an allegation of murder. There is a requ request for a high bond. The high bond request indicates this video she never got the chance to celebrate this video of the mother being charged right there when emergency personnel arrived on the scene they pronounced the child had died it was deceased it is unclear why she did not ask anyone to help her care for her child while she was traveling officials said on thursday she never made any arrangements for a baby daughter before she went away the medical examiner's office said that there were no signs of trauma, but revealed that the child had been left alone for approximately 10 days and had subsequently died. Neighbors were distraught upon hearing the news. Many said they had previously taken care of the toddler and wished that the mother had asked them. A 13-year-old who knew the child said that she was amazed. She was amazing and really adorable. Jalen really didn't deserve what happened to her, they said. I miss her a lot. Another resident remembered the child was always happy. Jalen, she was a happy baby, always smiling, always curious about stuff. She was a wonderful, wonderful baby, they said. An acquaintance said that this was not the first time the mother had left her baby daughter home alone. We keep telling her to not leave the baby by herself. Not just me, my friend across the street too, but she always left her child by herself. She had previously worked as a building substitute at Citizen Academy Glendale and Elementary School in Cleveland. She'd been in that role since November 2022, but was fired after her arrest. The school issued a statement announcing her termination. According to officials with Children and Family Services, there is no record of any previous cases involving the mother. She's currently being held on a $1 million bond. It is not currently known if she has an attorney we're going to the comments section. What do the comments section say? And then I'm going to go to our chat room to see what you guys say. This made me cry. Poor little girl. She didn't deserve that abuse. What the heck are the mothers drinking in Ohio and Idaho that are making them so nuts that they kill their children? Something's wrong in the water there. She should be fed to the lions in the zoo. She is inhuman. Horrible mother, period. Read two more. I wonder why none of the neighbors ever called child services or if they did. What did child services not intervene? It apparently wasn't the first time she did this, so many ways this could have been avoided. RIP, little sweetheart, you didn't deserve to suffer like that. All right. So, no, a lot of people always say, why don't people call the adult, I mean, call, what do you call it, protective services? Uh, let me clue you in on something. It is not what you think it is, um, whether it's Child Protective Services or Adult Protective Services, all right? I've ha I have experience in this. A lot of times, they deal with people that have low education. I'm not saying they're not educated. They have low education. They don't have enough people. They are overworked and... Uh, you know, calling CPS or APS doesn't do a whole lot, especially if they don't have somebody the child can go to, and it just doesn't do anything. It's not what you think it is. It's not what it's like on TV, all right? So there's a little education there. I wonder if my damn taxes could one day go up to universal free childcare for kids under five that's what somebody says in the chat room i'm babysitting a puppy for a 30 year old tomorrow she doesn't want to leave at home alone i know who called the cops i go in the chat room now unfortunately this isn't the most disturbing thing that we're going to go over tonight
This is also in Ohio. Boy two shoots his pregnant mother, 31, in the back with pistol he found in nightstand. Mom and baby both died after emergency C-section. That's right, a two-year-old baby boy shot his pregnant mother in the back with a pistol he found in her nightstand. Police in Norwalk, Ohio, rushed into the scene on June 16th after receiving a frantic call from the mother, Laura, 31, moments after she was shot in the back. Her Marine husband, Alec, 28, this is a young family, who was at work at the time, also called dispatchers, telling him he received a phone call from his wife screaming something about my son and needing to call 911. She was rushed to nearby Fisher Titus Medical Center where surgeons performed an emergency cesarean section, but they were unable to save the baby. The mother was also declared dead three hours later. In a heartbreaking tribute, Laura's husband, Alec, wrote on social media, there are no words for the pain and loss I feel. She was, is, will always be the love of my life. Officers arrived at the house and made a forced entry through the locked front door where they found the mother and her son upstairs in the master bedroom. She said the room is typically locked and baby gates are set up throughout the home, but her son bypassed the gates, started playing with a gun while she was doing laundry. At the request of the mother, the two-year-old was removed from the bedroom and paramedics then performed desperate life-saving procedures. She was said to be fully conscious and provided a complete account of the events that occurred, explaining that she was 33 weeks pregnant. An online obituary for the mom says she enjoyed attending her church and spending time with the family. She met her husband, Alec, while he was in the Marines and married November 23rd, 2018. She always wanted to be a mother and a wife. She was an avid reader and especially liked Harry Potter, crafting and enjoyed board games and was a child at heart, the tribute added. A sweep of the house and cover the weapon along with the shell casing while the handgun's magazine was filled with an additional 12 rounds. Investigators also found two more firearms inside the home, a 12-gauge shotgun in the master bedroom closet and an airsoft rifle in the computer room closet. The Norwalk Police Department's Detective Bureau was executed a search warrant on the home, said it found a number of child safety features in the home, including gates on almost all doorways and child locks on drawers. Investigations into the shooting are ongoing and no charges have yet been filed. Norwalk now where a two-year-old child accidentally shot and killed his mother and her unborn baby. The woman called 911 to say her son had shot her in the back. They were found upstairs with a nine millimeter handgun next to them. Authorities say she and her unborn child later died at the hospital. All right. Very tragic, very tragic. We'll see what some of the comments are below. They look like two completely different women. Muroccans and their pew-pews, they failed to evolve with the rest of us. What type of pistol was it, a two-year-old? Was it a two-year-old hand to believe forensic is required to be sure? Somebody that... Aren't loaded guns quite heavy, hard to comprehend that a two-year-old can lift and discharge a weapon. The one only thing that can stop a bad two-year-old with a gun is a good two-year-old with a gun, according to U.S. Gun Nuts. Only in America. This should have not reached the press based on the nature of this incident. 15, 20 years from now, someone could present this information to him. It can have a detrimental effect on his well-being. They should have changed his name and the father's name. Please, Americans, what is wrong with gun safe? This happens too many times, that poor boy. I couldn't agree more. I live in America and there is something wrong with us and our attitude towards guns. Yanks and their guns from Worcestershire, UK. Yanks and their guns. This will continue unless they chart, they change the laws. Following the unborn child could have had a gun to defend itself. Some of the comments made. Have you heard this about Elvis? Elvis's uh, stepbrother made a shocking claim about what the late singer did to avoid his inappropriately 
inappropriate relationships being exposed. Uh, apparently, Ellis had a thing, as his his stepbrother said, for underage girls. And he's saying that's the reason he killed himself here in this latest latest article. Of course, um, he happens to have a book that's just coming out now. I'm just going to tell you all about it. I'm going to read a little bit for you here. Let's see. There's an upcoming uh, film, Priscilla. It released its first trail along with little-known Amazon documentary called Elvis's Women. With this documentary, we get accounts from Elvis's previous lovers along with a bombshell claim that his stepbrother, David Stanley, as many know, Elvis died suddenly at the age of 42 after cardiac arrest brought on by codeine pills on the toilet, or so are said. So I've heard, but Stanley claims there's more to the story. In the documentary, Stanley claims Elvis died by suicide. Not only that, but he died by suicide because he couldn't take the possibility of exposure to his relationship with teenage girls. It is, he said he premeditated taking the medication that killed him. Love, hurt, pain, exposure. He just couldn't take it anymore. Added, adding he couldn't carry on due to his fears that his alleged relationships with teen girls would be brought to light during his comeback. Stanley added his taste for young girls aged 15 or 16 made me sick, adding that it was a miracle that Elvis wasn't busted. He continued saying he got away with things most people didn't because of his money, fortune, fame, power, charisma, and magnetism. Elvis could talk the socks off you. As many know, Elvis and his wife Priscilla started their relationship when she was 14 he was 24. But Priscilla was allegedly not the only one. Author Joel Williamson claimed in his book, Elvis Presley, A Southern Life, that Elvis kept around three 14-year-old girls with him on tour for pillow fights, tickling and kissing and cuddling. Many others have alleged his relationships with teenage girls throughout his lifetime. It's a continued thing, perhaps. Let's look at the conversation. What do you guys think about this? Are you guys Elvis fans? Uh, I left the trigger warning up. It still probably applies to this. Would you have a tickle fight in your underwear with Elvis? I bet affidavit would. Uh, Laura, I'm sorry. I've asked many people, what do these pills do? I hate it when allegations are made against dead people. Some dude suing Michael Jackson. Um, yeah, not only that, these allegations are coming out after Lisa Marie is dead. And this guy, you know, there's happens to be a new documentary out. Although all the all the allegations I hear about Jerry Lewis being a son of a bitch, I completely believe. Because that's different. Nobody was making a book. These were actresses who worked with him who were then interviewed. Him, and they're like, yeah, he was a rapist. So, again, Jerry Lewis, the son of a bitch. Elvis, I'm not quite convinced, although I, I tend to believe. Uh, I tend to believe the... Um, you know, underwear tickle parties. All right, this is a breaking story right here. A giant eagle store in North Olmsted remained closed Monday following a deadly shooting at the store on Sunday. The incident involved a divorced couple with the shooter identified as Edward Smith, 60, and the female victim, a Susan Peterson, 63, an employee of the store. Police believe the couple's divorce in 04 was potentially the motive behind the shooting. Here's some pictures here. Everybody likes to get pictures of police officers outside of the scene. The shooting happened around 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. Around 67 employees and 200 customers were at the store when the shooting took place. Murder-suicide, that's something we report on here. All right, let's go to our next story. All right, so I don't know how many of you guys know when you first, some of you guys have been here with me for a while. I had a nationally reported on story that I wrote, investigation really about water beats killing people and how dangerous they were and nobody wanted to do a damn thing about it. And I kept, well, anyway, it's uh, the water beads was swallowed by another kid. Check this out. We'll talk about it on the flip side. Two years ago, my daughter was six and she got water beads for a gift from her grandpa. And they were fun and 
she liked, you know, sitting there and just going like that with her fingers. And um, she made a mess of them upstairs in the playroom, um, dumped them all in the all over the floor. And there's 30,000 of them in a package. And they're like the size of a sprinkle. They're itty bitty when they're small. And um, the only way I thought to clean them up was to let them dry out. Cause I Googled it. I was like, how do you clean up spilled water beads? Cause they're super slippery and they're hard to pick up and, and hold. And it said to let them dry. So then I let them dry out and then I vacuumed them. And then I vacuumed them and over and over and over. There's so many of them. And I really thought that I got all of them. Two years later, you know, Letty's playing in there and she must've found one in the carpet and she swallowed it. And I didn't know that she, you know, I didn't even think about it. Like when we were at the doctor or when we were, I, I thought she swallowed something. Like I kept telling them, I, I, she puts everything in her mouth. I really think that there's something in there. And they kept saying, no, the x-rays aren't showing anything. They said, in hindsight, it makes sense. Like it's fluid filled. So it's the same color as the intestines. Um, they said that they, they have seen cases of this before. Um, and I just, I wish I would have thought about the water beat. Like I wish I would have. It's been so many years, like I didn't even, it wasn't even in my head. The longer you wait and the longer you don't know, these water beads just, they just keep growing. And at a certain point, they can tear your intestine and rupture. It literally looks like, you know, a, a C-section incision. It was a, a long week in the hospital. She took a whole week to recover. Um, it's pretty scary. Now, there's different reasons why water beads are so unsafe. Um, they can grow to be over 3,000, you heard me right, 3,000 times their original size and can block the intestines of children. And this is what happened to this kid. Also, some of them are highly toxic. It is a polymer that is supposed to be, is supposed to be non-toxic, but the process it goes through that make it non-toxic, well, sometimes it leaves chemicals in there that are still toxic. I'll tell you right now, water beads are very dangerous, very dangerous to have at your house. The ASTM International Organization that helps establish voluntar voluntary safety standards for products, including toys, has launched a task force to look into the safety of water beads. They didn't before, they have now. That's good news, right? We launched the story around uh, Thanksgiving of last year. And as more children have got harmed, they're finally starting to look at the danger of water bees. The launch of the task force comes after warnings about the hazards of water bees from both the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission and National Poison Control Center. We've been talking about it before them. It also comes after several parents have spoken out about injuries their children have suffered after swallowing water beads. Most recently, a mom of three from Iowa. Hannah Reef Hastings, Iowa, said she knew something was wrong when her 14-month-old daughter, Letty, began experiencing extreme vomiting earlier this month. And I'm, I'm going to sum it up because I already played that video for you. There's a picture of the actual water bead that was from her, her small intestine of her daughter. All right. Now, the water beads were spilt two years previously, and the mother did everything she could do, you know, vacuuming in that area. But she says apparently her child found one and swallowed it, and it almost killed her. So I'll tell you, it's very dangerous right now. Some children have become brain damaged because of it, because of sepsis that occurred when the organs of the child split. Here's some of the comments in the comments section. Ban these things immediately. There's no reason something so dangerous should be in a child's toy. This goes against all basic safety instincts to market these water beads as a ch children's toy. I'd ponder a guess that her oldest has other toys that a toddler should not use as well. The beads are made for older children, in this case, six-year-old, who has passed the swallowing everything they can fit in their mouth stage. So you'd think having two children years apart, that the difference in safety of certain toys for the youngest would require separation of those toys. All right, I'm not going to read the rest of that. All right. Why on earth are these beads not banned? This is a really dangerous object, especially if swallowed as it expands. You know how toddlers are. Everything goes in their mouth, ears, and nose. Parents should boycott this product immediately.
kids scream for help on call with 911. Mom found holding toddler underwater. We're going to talk about that. I just wanted to say after this show, I'm going to do a two hour, but believe me, it's going to go by fast. I'm going to do a two hour musical set, true crime musical set. Here's the link. Join me for a not radio post show. Here, there's the link. I'm gonna put it. Actually, I can't. Uh, RoboMod, can you pin comments? Let's see if I can. Old and slow. All right, let me pin that comment. You guys can go ahead and tune in there right now. Put it on mute. Whatever you want to do. You're going to want, as soon as I go off, I'm hitting the button and I'm going live for two hours. And uh, I don't want to tell you what it's going to be about, but you're going to want to check it out. Trust me. Some things you can't have on YouTube. All right. And why would you want to? Children were heard screaming and begging for help when a 15-year-old girl called 911. This happened in Michigan. Officers of Albanon, Albanon Department of Public Safety responded to the home at 10.30 a.m. Saturday, June 24th, and heard commotion from behind a locked door in the residence. An officer kicked the door open. Police said and found a woman holding a toddler underwater in a bathtub. The officer pulled the two-year-old girl away from the 35-year-old woman and began CPR in the living room. After giving a few quick breaths, the child coughed up water and began breathing on her own. This is a miracle. They saved the child. This is good news, right? Authorities said, meanwhile, a deputy with the Calhoun County Sheriff's Office detained the woman. With extreme prejudice, I would imagine. Authorities believe she is a mom of the four children found in the home. The two-year-old girl, four-year-old boy, eight-year-old child, and 15-year-old girl. The two-year-old was found with stab wounds to her chest and throat, officials said, and the four-year-old had some cuts. Authorities believe they may have ingested a cleaning fluid. They were taken to a hospital about 20 miles away before being flown to Ann Arbor for further treatment, according to the release. They were in stable condition as of 3 p.m. Saturday. The two older children did not appear to be injured. The mother, who police did not name, was arrested and later taken to a hospital. As authorities said, she may have ingested the cleaning fluid as well. Chief Scott Kipp credited the responding officer and deputy for their quick response and decisive actions that helped to save the lives of the two-year-old child. Albion is about 50 miles west of Ann Arbor. If you're experiencing domestic violence and need someone to talk to, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline for support at one 800 799-7233 or text START to 88788. All right. For those of you that have been following this case, the case of Julian Sands going missing, it's hiking on a mountain. They found remains. On Saturday, they discovered human remains on Southern California's Mount Baldy. It's the same mountain where British actor Julian Sands went missing more than five months ago. Deputies responded and transported the victim's remains to the country, to the county coroner's office for identification. No word yet on the identification yet. If once we do, we'll let you know. Fit indeed. Was Julian Sands. I remember watching him in uh, Warlock. Back in the 80s. I'd like to thank you for tuning in tonight again. I'm going to put the link right here. I'm going to do a two-hour post-show on my radio station, Midnight Radio. I'm going to you to turn in. 
want you to tune in and check it out. All right. I will announce the winner of the hats from the last show. I said if you commented in the comment section, there's still time for you if you haven't yet to get a free hat. Comment in the comment section for the not this video. The last video is a two-parter. I don't care which part you comment in. We're gonna, I'm going to do a drawing offline for a hat. I'm going to send you a link for the verification of who wins. You know, if you won, if you won, you have 24 hours to respond. All right? 24 hours to respond. As soon as I go off here, again, I'll be going live for two hours on midnightrad.io, or the link's right there in the chat room. If you haven't become a member of our Discord, you're going to want to do that. You get a copy of the radio shows from all of our DJs. You're going to want to check that out. If you haven't yet, let me tell you, you are missing out. Thank you. And until next time, good night. God bless and all of my best. Thank you.